Catch new episodes of Dial the Gate weekends at youtube.com slash dial the gate. And for the latest schedule, visit dialthegate.com. Welcome, everyone, to episode 58 of Dial the Gate. My name is David Reed. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, Robert Ricardo had to reschedule yesterday, so he was going to be joining us exactly one week from his uh, previous scheduled time. So that's going to be uh, this coming Saturday at 2 p.m. Pacific. So that'll be Saturday, March the 6th. James Bam Bam Bamford is going to be joining us for this episode. He is the stunt coordinator for Stargate Atlantis and the fight coordinator for Stargate SG-1. But before I bring him in, I do want to invite you to share this with your friends, your Stargate friends. If you like Stargate and you want to see more of this content on YouTube, it would mean a great deal to me if you click the like button. It really makes a difference with YouTube's algorithm and will definitely help the show grow its audience. Please also consider sharing this video with a Stargate friend. And if you want to get notified about future episodes, click the subscribe icon. Giving the bell icon a click will notify you the moment a new video drops and you'll get my notifications of any last minute guest changes. This is key if you plan on watching live and clips from this live stream will be released over the course of the next several days and weeks on both gateworld.net and eventually dial the gate before i bring in james so what's going to happen is we're going to uh i'm going to ask him uh questions on youtube.com slash dial the gate you'll have uh the chat going live with the show pretty much every show and there you can submit questions to the moderators, and they'll get them over to me to ask James later on in the show. But without further ado, Mr. James Bamford, Stunt and Fight Coordinator for Stargate. Thank you for joining us, sir. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. How the heck How are, are you? Uh, great. How are you? I am well. So Superman and Lois, you have... <laughs> Uh, your directorial debut on that show starting on March the th- that episode is March the 9th is that correct uh in theory um, <laughs> okay. uh, um it's a little hard to, uh, to calculate uh at the regular rate as the um pilot and uh, episode two were combined into one massive um uh episode so they aired last week uh very successfully and i think this coming tuesday will be uh what was considered episode three and my episode is episode four so so the episode that you shot was haywire is that correct correct all Mm -hmm. right what can you tell us about this this cast and crew uh brand new series um you excited about the the run of this show it's a different different um it's a different uh, what do you want, a texture for Superman, for sure. Putting him in kind of a different situation, home-wise. Yeah, it's it's uh, something that hasn't been done as far as exploring that part of his story, and you know, being a dad. And uh, I think they're spending a lot more time on just you know 
him being a human being um, more so than being a superhero. And um, so I think uh, people can really um, connect with, with that and they're exploring, you know, regular issues, anxiety and addiction and, and all sorts of other things that regular families um, and people um, experience. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting uh, show that way. It's, it stands out from the rest of the, of the DC shows in, in that regard and uh, not um it's it's a different there's superhero elements of course but the main focus is the family and and uh what happens within that of course the superhero world uh does uh push and pull you in different directions so i think my episode in particular and i'm sure i'm allowed to uh speak this because it's it's vague but um really does uh focus on the the um, challenges that Superman faces and the family faces between him being Superman and being a dad and the getting pulled in those two separate directions simultaneously and constantly. Um, If there was, I mean, imagine if there was uh, an actual Superman um, and all the things that go on in the world were going on in the world. He'd be pretty busy. So, um, so. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and imagine if he was a dad, like, you know, like a father being a father myself and uh, having to go to work and um, you know, that takes you away from your family and away from your, from your children. And so it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a real, uh, it's a real occurrence that happens to real people. So um, it was, it was very interesting to, to direct that and, and it comes at it from a different angle than, than uh, you know, we've, we've had to before the script is very grounded, actually grounded is basically the word of the, of the day on that show. And, and um, the conversations are, they feel real between the characters and, and the actors are embracing that and um, they're doing a great job. Um, I'm not really, I used to be really big into when Smallville was on the air, I was watching a lot of that. Um, yeah. I, I kind of got um, superheroed out and with all the Marvel stuff and everything, it's, it's <laughs> most of it's, most of it's very yeah. well done. Um but I mean, I was like, I can only take good versus evil for so long. I mean, that I, I get that that is that is the core theme of of all that this is. Um, but yes. this is one that I can really see myself tuning into because it's deliberately taking a step back and saying, okay, let's make a more a more family oriented show, not in terms of the viewing audience, but in terms of the subject matter, and say, well, you know, what happens when you know the most powerful being on earth has offspring you think that uh keeping his identity a secret would would not only was it at the top pretty much at the top of the list before it's really at the top of the list now because if anything happens to those kids and of course the show is going to explore that it has to and it will (laughs) Um. (laughs) absolutely (laughs) Uh, um yeah there's always a constant there's a constant threat um 
whether it be to his family or, you know, himself. Uh, um, of course, the, the existence of kryptonite is, you know, always a thing. And uh, the different ways. Yeah. <laughs> the different ways. And I mean, there's not just, there's not just kryptonite. There's, there's other weaknesses uh, out there. And uh, when you're, the most powerful being on earth. There's many, many people um, Absolutely. working very hard trying to uh, topple you from that throne. So Absolutely. As is human nature. Tell um, us, take us back a little bit. Um, one of my... Way in, back. Way back, man. One of my intents with this show is to make it a lasting uh, sight online where future generations who are going to continue to discover Stargate through streaming will have a place to go and uh, uh, discover the people who, who made it. Um, you know, Gateworld has obviously done that very well. Uh, there's a number of different sites online like The Companion that are trying to do that as well. What we're trying to do here is is make a, a Stargate-focused place um, where you can uh, learn about the people who... Um, made the show and where they came from and what their goals were before they approached the series. Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about where you're from, what your goals were as a young person and what led you down the path that you're at now. Uh, and, and to the point of being a stunt, uh, stunt person and getting involved in Stargate, what were your, what were your goals when you were growing up? What did you want to do? Wow. Um, and please continue. (laughs) Uh, grew up in a small town, um, just outside of Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, um, called Sydney. And, um, there wasn't a lot of, well, there wasn't the film industry itself didn't exist. So, you know, you, uh, as in many small towns, you have to, find different ways to amuse yourself and you know we spend a lot of time running around in the forest and playing sports and and all those sort of things and you know watching tv um <laughs> going to drive in theater and all sorts of things like that so uh very early on uh, i think it was the six million dollar man i've probably told this story before but I asked my dad, you know, how does he jump that high? How does he run that fast and all that sort of thing? And and my dad explained that he was a stuntman. Um, and uh, so I was like, oh, okay. Um, that's what I want to do, you know. Um, if if that makes me the $6 million man, then, you know, then I didn't exactly understand it. But, uh, and then, you know, when I got older, seven or eight, uh, my uncles took me to my first Bruce Lee movie, which was Enter the Dragon. And, you know, the world opened up and then I was like, okay, that's (laughs) what I'm going to do. (laughs) And then, uh, you know, started training in martial arts when I was, you know, very young and then continued and then uh essentially that long story short uh eventually uh different career paths um were happening and 
I was approached or my karate instructor was approached by a, a very busy uh, stuntman back then who attended our uh, karate school when I was a kid. And um, he was looking for martial artists who were six feet tall and at the time, 170 pounds ish. And uh, my name came up and uh, to be a stunt double for in a fight martial arts double for uh, Michael Dudikoff on a, on a TV series called uh, Cobra. And um, my name was brought up and uh, it was asked of me to put some, you know, martial arts on, on a, on a tape at the time of VHS tape. And uh, it was a long time ago. And, um, (laughs) and so my sensei, my instructor and I filmed me doing a bunch of, different uh kicks and flying kicks over top of tables and all sorts of tricks and you know i wonder where that tape is now anyway i'd love um, to see it no me too (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm curious i was Um, flexible oh i was uh actually yeah i could do the splits back then but um uh so that that uh that happened. We sent the tape over and a couple of days later I got a phone call and, you know, just saying, are you the guy on the tape? And I was like, uh, yes. And then, uh, the stunt coordinator at the time asked me to come to the set and sort of prove that I was a guy on the tape and do a bit of a live right. you know, audition or demonstration, which was very, um, intelligent of him because, Really, in stunts, you can't just somebody can hand you a piece of paper, a resume, and you can't believe anything. Everybody wants, you know, whatever the position is. So it's it's the kind of position that um, you can't uh, you can't take somebody's word for it. No. Uh, it, it you know, any it. sort of yeah, anybody's it's show me, don't tell me. So anybody, uh, the smallest mistake can cost you. Uh, grievous bodily harm or, you know, death. So, um, uh, you have to be on top of, of everything. So I went over there and, and, you know, did a bunch of physical stuff, uh, basically did some of the stuff I did on the tape and said, yeah, that's see, this is me. And, uh, I was asked immediately, um, do you have a place to stay? Because I didn't live in, it was Vancouver at the time. And I said, nope. And they said, well, you're working tomorrow. So, and you know, the very next day I was on set. So, and, and asked uh, to, um, the stunt coordinator wasn't a, a martial artist. and wasn't a fight choreographer. So I said, and I need you to put together a fight. You versus two guys or whatever. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like on set, but nowadays, back then, there wasn't a lot of rehearsal time. They didn't budget for it. You just kind of had to show up and know what you were doing. Um, whereas, you know, nowadays, as I progressed and Stargate was one of these shows, I started initiating, you know, rehearsal time that was built into the budget because the uh, – expectations of well my expectations were a lot higher than a lot of what i was seeing on television at the time and previous to that 
um, I was watching a lot of Hong Kong-based uh, films and, and other international films that the level of action was 10 times what I was seeing on American television. So um, particularly in the fight um, aspect of the business. So, um, and I had, didn't understand why there wasn't a lot of rehearsal going on. Um, and I knew it had something to do with money, obviously, but uh, in my mind, um, safety and, and uh, quality uh, were more important than the almighty dollar. But of course, studios and don't, didn't always agree uh, at the time. Um, but I worked with a couple, so I was a stuntman and then was choreographing fight sequences very early, as, as I said, the first day on set. Luckily, I had done a fair amount of um, live shows with our, our karate school and, and through martial arts and competitively, I'd been on stage a fair amount and fought in the ring and, you know, uh, put together live um, fight shows that were choreographed and, and that sort of thing. So it wasn't a stranger to me, although that was the first time I'd done it on a film set. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, it was very relaxed uh, and, uh, and confident and it seemed like this is the right place. Uh, I'm in the, I'm doing the right thing. I'm in the right place. And uh, uh, after that, I uh, went on to be a choreographer and was still performing and then a, a stunt coordinator and a second unit director. And years and years later, here we are. And I've uh, been essentially retired from stunts for a few years now and, and uh, um, became a full-time director. Um, do you miss it? But by the time I got to Stargate, I was working on a, and how did I get into the Stargate franchise? Well, um, uh, I was in and out uh, um, on set. I was brought in as a, as a stunt double many times on SG-1 through the first few seasons. Braytac was <laughs> doubling Braytac. Uh, doubling Tony was, was one of them because we're twins. Not at all. Right. Um, but, and, that's, <laughs> and that's a story. That's a, Joe Malazzi and I were talking about that the other day. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, yeah, but Peter Delaway's, uh, Peter Delaway's just always insisted that I should, you know, be Tony's double because of the staff work and the choreography and, and, and all that involved. So bless them. They, you know, do whatever to my hairline and, right, exactly. and whatnot. And, there I was. Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> I had a lot of fun. You can't tell when you watch the show at all, but uh, but yeah, I think Allegiance I, particularly. You know, I look through that and I'm like, I can't see it. I know he's there, but man, what trickery! Yeah, yeah, very quick cuts and and whatnot. But anyway, that was sort of my introduction. I was there a lot, off and on over the years, and then uh, eventually. I worked on another show. I think it was MGM also uh, and or Showtime or the combination thereof. And J. Michael Straczynski was the uh, showrunner and it was called Jeremiah yeah. uh, with Luke Perry, uh, rest in peace. And um, Malcolm, Jamal Malcolm, Jamal, Malcolm Jamal Warner. And uh, I was doing a lot of sort of post-apocalyptic sort of fight stuff on that show. 
and some of the Stargate directors had come over, uh, Peter Deluise being one, Martin Wood being another, and they'd come over and worked with me as a, as a fight choreographer and, uh, and the stunt coordinator. And they went back to Brad Wright uh, and they were discussing um, Stargate Atlantis before it had started. And they said, hey, we got to get this guy over here. Um, and so Brad Wright brought me in for a meeting with John Smith and Brad Wright and that family. And they said, hey, we really want you to come do this show. We're starting a new show. Um, we want to up our level of fight choreography and, you know, and uh, everybody's been talking about what you're doing over there and what your process is and that sort of thing. We want to bring those elements to our show and et cetera, et cetera. So timing wise, it was very, very busy at the time. And I think I had just come off of uh, Blade 3 and Chronicles mm. and Riddick and it was just a very busy year. Mm. And uh, I was performing a lot and enjoying that aspect of of my career. It was a lot of being a stuntman and uh, being on camera. And uh, I was really enjoying myself. I was traveling a lot. And I thought, eh, do I want to settle down and do a, you know, a series like that? And I just said, oh, I'll give it a shot. And uh, it'll be fun. I, I'll like the people that are involved. So I... Uh, went over there and started and had a great time. And it soon became, you know, home and, um, and then Stargate Atlantis went five years. Uh, and uh, on the pilot, we had a great time. Rachel was uh, introduced and we did a lot of fight stuff with her. And then the next season, Jason Momoa was brought in and mm -hmm. I started training him and, he's done a couple things i think uh, so <laughs> i think yeah he's doing very well and um and uh next thing you know stargate universe was coming and i was asked to go over there and at the time there was you know some of the people split off and went to do sanctuary and um i was asked to go over there as well and and uh i chose to stay on um Sorry, universe. And I was enjoying myself there. And then we did two seasons and it was done. Um, and it, interestingly enough, it was, I found Stargate universe, a more grounded as in Superman and Lois as well, more grounded show um, and the style of shooting and everything else. Uh, I think it was based on um, what they were looking at originally. It was uh, based on the, the cinematic style of uh, the shield which was a show mm. on TV at the time. I think they did six seasons, perhaps. Uh, Michael Chiklis and whatnot. So uh, I, I really enjoyed how Stargate Universe was put together. And then for whatever reason, it didn't continue, which was unfortunate because it was a yeah. really different approach to the franchise, uh, which it had to be. You can't just keep repeating yourself and do the same thing over and over again. I mean, you know, I mean, yes, there was a gate <laughs> and uh, there was a kawoosh, uh as there were for the, uh, with the two other, you know, I think Stargate Atlantis was a bit more of a departure um, comparatively speaking to SG-1 and it had its own 
thing. And I really enjoyed the crossover, you know, bits that we had. And we were talking about this with Joe Malazzi the other day when, you know, Ronan and Teal were sparring and, you know, mm-hmm. things like that. And I really enjoyed those those aspects of it and, and having some of the other actors, Michael Shanks or Amanda tapping come on the show. And that was fun a lot. And, uh, and, um, uh, but it was also interesting and fun to develop your own sort of way and, and get away from the original kind of SG one thing um and as you, you to grow yeah you i mean and as you should who wants to because it has the same name stargate attached to it um how is it a new show if it's the same old same old so um so i tried to bring different elements into atlantis right off the bat um, that i saw you know i saw what they did on action wise um on sg1 and then i was okay well what can i do differently and this is what we did um, and had a lot of fun doing it. And there was a lot of creative, you know, you got to stretch your creative uh, wings and uh, there was a lot of opportunity to do that. And and, uh, and then around season eight-ish, eight, nine, 10 of SG-1, Brad said, hey, can you start doing, you know, start doing some of uh, the fight sequences on SG-1 as well. And, or can you, you know, bring some of the magic that's over here, over, you know, that's over there. And, you know, and I'm like, well, it can't be everywhere at once (laughs) at the time. (laughs) You know, uh, we were all out of, everything was produced out of one office, but, you know, Physically, you can't. There's a little bit of juggling to be done, and so uh, Dan Shea and I would sort of, you know, manage that. And um, um, yeah, I re- <laughs> uh, I remember coming in to season two uh, well, when it was in production, and I'm sure I've told you the story. And we were upstairs in uh, uh, in the production offices waiting for uh, one of the writers, I'm sure. And you said, you got a minute? Come in and see this. And you had, uh, oh, using DV tapes and uh, some editing software, assembled a rough cut, I think with your stunt guys. It may have been the actual actors. I'm not entirely sure. Of uh, uh, Ford and Ronan's fight sequence from... Uh, mm. and it was you had you had basically assembled the whole thing so that you could show brad and rob okay this is what i'd like to do all really yourself i all, almost like a second unit going out and and getting a proof of concept and then taking it back and saying this is what i'd like to actually execute on film and it was one of the coolest things i'd ever seen a because you were so so wide-eyed about it and excited about it and we had really not seen anything that intense uh in stargate yet uh, that was one of that was an intense sequence, and uh, that they were willing to go. Okay, let's make that happen. I I felt that to really change the uh, look of the show, or you know, or what had been established, there had to be proof of concept. So that was the uh, rehearsal 
that you watched. And at the time I was training uh, Jason Momoa um, specifically. So you saw him and uh, some of um, Rainbow's uh, double, I believe it was Kamani Smith at the time. Um, and so that was a rehearsal that you saw. So okay. that I had shot with a mini DV camera and then, you know, took that footage and dumped it onto my laptop with the Firewire at the time, which took forever right. back I then. I remember Firewire. That's right. Yeah, it took forever and ever and ever. And then what I would do, I edited it on iMovie, very simple, added, you know, sound and whatnot. And then I just taught myself how to do that. And uh, um, editing is a, when I was on Jeremiah, I, I was doing that, okay. the same thing. Um, and that's when I started back in, you know, late nineties, 97 or something like that. And as soon as technology was fast enough that I could do, do it quickly, you know, I was waiting for, you know, the, uh, technology to, to keep up with sort of the vision that I had of, of editing fight rehearsals and or stunt rehearsals. And then I, yeah, I started doing that and, uh, now it's common uh, for a stunt team. There's full teams devoted to, and back then I was the stunt department. It was me. Yeah. And, I, and I would hire stunt doubles on occasion for rehearsal, but day in and day out, I was there on my, on my own. I was carrying the pads around. I was, you know, washing them down and, and you know, everything else. and looking after the actors and training them, everything else. Um, nowadays, for instance, when I went on to Arrow years later, we had a team there of at least five people, you know, fight choreographer, stunt coordinator, a previs person. And that was the very early stages of, of, of what's now called the previs or pre-visualization on, you know, on a, on a film set or on a television show. And it just wasn't done at the time. I don't know what made me think I should be doing this, but I just thought it would be a, so many times you've tried to get your points across to directors and they just end up doing something else. So I thought it would be a, a useful tool um, to demonstrate the best use of the camera uh, within the action and, mm -hmm. and uh, back on, you know, Jeremiah and before that. So, um, so yeah, uh, I brought it onto Stargate Atlantis and, and uh Next thing you know, yeah, Jason would come to rehearsals. Uh, doesn't always happen with a lot of actors, but he did all his own fight stuff. The only time we used a stunt double was when, uh, you know, we'd smash him into a wall or something. Um, <laughs> right. Something that there was a larger risk of injury. Yeah. And uh, it's really surreal looking at that suit behind you. Um, uh, <laughs> you may have been in this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just looking looking at photos the other day of myself and two other stunt guys wearing those um, and running around. And I remember it it wasn't the most comfortable suit, but let's uh... <laughs> oh, not. I've I've had friends who have since worn it, and they're like, "This really." Um... Well, for, first of all, they they heat up really fast. Yes. So I mean, getting in it is a whole chore. And, you know, you have to have like a whole team of people around you guys just to make make sure that you're, you're comfortable enough to pull the work off, you know, because you've got to do yeah, it. Yeah, did. So one of the things that you um, brought up to me once 
that you really wanted to change and I think had a hand in. And I don't know if it was with Stargate specifically um, or if it was just like a general industry kind of approach was, well, you know what? The the stunts and the fights, it's not a tremendous priority for us. We'll get to it when we can and would often leave it toward the end of the of the shoot, which is uh, use, not safe. The end of the day, when you're right. running out of time, um, when there's no time, oh, you have 15 minutes um, to get a high fall, uh, which is 80 feet or, or whatever. Um, oh, well, we didn't get it. Uh, um, and what, and I said this to Joe the other day as well, I, you know, the stunt, the fight, the car chase, whatever it is, it's in the script. It's part of the story. Why is it in the script? It's not just, and you can tell the difference on any given television show or film. You can tell the difference um, when they made the decision, um, you know, okay, well, and then they fight instead of the story continues and it turn, you know, becomes a fight or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a story told within a fight sequence or, or within a driving sequence or Whatever the action sequence is, there's a beginning, middle, and end uh, of the story, and it's just as relevant. It's, it's unless they just wrote it, unless it appeared in the script for eye candy's sake. Well, you know, we really need a fight here because you know the network wants a fight. Then there wasn't much thought put into it, and it's there for optics' sake, and and it's you know it is what it is. It's just hey, let's put something cool so people can go ooh ah. And then it's not part of the story. Um, in that case, then it is what it is. And you can tell that when you watch a show. You're just sort of like, okay, oh, that was kind of cool. When's it over? Um, back to the story, you know? Um, but the 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 type of action um, that keeps you engrossed in and connected with the material is, it's a continuation of the story. And it's it's not, you know, just eye candy it's fantastic to do cool stuff and have people go oh how did they do that oh that must have hurt oh ooh, ah, ooh, and all that and take people on that roller coaster ride but uh, if it's not telling the story then it's you know the stunt people the directors um people anybody aren't doing their job you know and and uh i want to watch something i i wanted to be involved in something that i want to watch myself Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to just clocking in and out of right. work every day and, you know, doing a job and making content. Oh, here's some more content. And it is the film business. And a lot of people say, well, this is the business part of the film business. You know, well, okay, great. Yes, uh, you have to be business-minded and um, take into account budget and time and uh, all the rest of it. But at the same time, nobody's going to watch it <laughs> if right. it isn't good. So that'll end very quickly. If um, you're checked out, then why do you want your audience to to stay? You know, yeah, on board. Yeah, you can see that on the screen. Yeah, you can see that on the screen. People are just going through the motions, and it becomes the most difficult part. Difficult part of of working on a series is is re inspiring yourself. And and when I say yourself, I mean yourself. There's nobody else. Everybody says, oh, so-and-so inspired me. Martin Scorsese, I was inspired by this. I was inspired by that. 
realistically, you have to inspire yourself. You're responsible for, you know, what's going on in there. Yes, you see other people doing things that are like, oh, wow, you know, I want to, you know, try to do what they did, but, you know, in my own way or what have you. But you are the only one responsible for inspiring yourself um, or for checking out also, <laughs> you know, if, if you've checked out and you're completely bored, that's also your own responsibility. Um, you know, you have to find a way on a series, five years, you've, you know, by season two, if you're pulling out all the stops, you've probably gone through your whole gambit of, mm. of, you know, your toolbox, um, visually or choreography wise. And at the end of the day, a punch is a punch and a kick is a kick. Um, and there are many combinations, uh, thereof, um, but everything's been done. Right. I wanted to yeah. know, have you ever gotten into a situation where you were near the end of a series or any similar circumstances and it's like, I've done pretty much everything I can do with this, you know, or, ha and I'm, you know, the, we haven't done anything different. I mean, I've, I've reached the end of my rope on what I can do with these particular characters in these particular situations. Or have you always been like, okay, I've got this next. Like it never runs out. The biggest Based example on the story. of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the biggest example of that was Arrow. Um, and we went eight seasons. I know. Jeez. And we would have went 10. I mean, we were headed to, to do 10. Um, and stopped for, you know, for various reasons, but each year we'd say, okay, let's re-inspire. And how do we top that? How do we, and we would just try to, okay, we did that already. We've done this, we've done that. How do we do it better? How, yeah. what's a different take? And so we'd constantly try to look for a new way to do things. And um, we're talking about a show where, you know, the fights were critical to that story. You know, they, yes. they were so much, it's, it was much more action oriented show than even Atlantis was. So keep oh, that in context. Much, much so, much yeah. more so. Um, uh, the scope was enormous. So, I mean, the budget was, and the audience was larger as well. And, That's true. You know, a different network and all that sort of thing. Um, but the showrunners and the studio really embraced our commitment to you know that level of, of action and they wanted you know things one of our one of our mantras was that we wanted to be able to see even if the director or the studio the the editors later on cut it we wanted to be able to show a stunt um from a to b in one shot if you could so if somebody fell off whatever the building was, we wanted to be able to follow that body all the way to the ground and not have to cut out of it because there was an airbag or, or what have you. So we tried very hard to do that. It gave it a bit more scope than, you know, your regular TV show. Okay. They cut out of that. You see somebody going ah, off a building and then you cut, they fall out of frame and then you cut to a, uh, an overlapped landing or what have you because people would fall into a pad. Right. <laughs> <You> know, or, <laughs> and, 
an airbag, but there's ways around that yeah. with the advent of technology and wires and everything else. It just takes more planning and expertise and, and everything else. Anybody could just throw in a pad, you know, and, <laughs> um, and uh, that's, you know, the way things were being done up to that point. So we wanted to bring an element of, of uh, add another dimension or some more texture to to the performance and to uh, what the expectations. And, you know, it was discussed quite a bit in seasons one and two of Arrow, um, you know, oh, the, uh, there's a stunt Emmy, you know, coming up and, you know, the studio was very excited and we should, you know, this was before all the other shows were popping out of the woodwork. This is before Daredevil, this is before, you know, all the all these shows just sort of spawned um, you know, Smallville had been gone for quite a while and uh, I think Arrow was, you know, re mm -hmm. responsible for the rebirth mm -hmm. of the superhero genre again on television. On television and then look, yeah. What, yeah, look what happened. I mean... You guys built an industry that, in Vancouver with that show. Yeah, now look, you're... I mean, as you just said, you're a superhero. Like, there's... You name it now. It's been and then The Flash and then Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl and Batwoman. Yeah. You know, now Batwoman and now, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then on, you know, Doom Patrol and uh, Titans and et cetera, all the Marvel shows. Um, it's, it's, but it really did, Smallville aside, we tried to do something completely different from what they did on that show which we felt we accomplished. And then we, uh, they led us as a stunt department. Mm -hmm. um, the showrunners really did embrace what we wanted to accomplish on the show. And we were allowed to, you know, have a team instead of having one stunt coordinator. And we really worked together. There was about five of us and, and we were even with five of us, Whereas, as I said, on Stargate, there was me right. um, doing all the breakdowns of doing, you know, and running around. And then I'd have to sort of choreograph things in my head. And, and then sometimes I'd get doubles to, to play with. And, you know, but on Arrow, we had a team, a full-time team all the time. And we were still working on the weekends. And it was that busy. Wow. <clears throat> you know, we promised a certain level of product and we delivered, but we were working, you know, at the end of, of the first and second season of Arrow, we were, you know, exhausted, you know? Um, and then it went another season and another, and we were like, okay, <laughs> what do we do to, what do you, and, and the expectations were always, you know, okay, yeah, we're going to try this now. We're going to try that. And, and uh, so again, you know, trying to re-inspire yourself continually is is a bigger challenge than actually accomplishing the uh the gags or the stunts themselves um i was interested in, in what you said earlier about having to prove that you were who you said you were on the tape you told me uh -huh. i think there were a, there have been a couple of instances where you've got a stunt performer who said that they can do a job and then they get to the situation they're like oh i can't do that I'm sorry. And you had to pull off your shirt and go into the situations like, okay, I guess I'm doing it. The work has uh, to get done. Yeah. Yeah. You're it's, it's happened a few times over the years. I've seen other people do it as well. You know, the uh, stunt coordinator 
who's had to, you know, step out from behind the camera and say, okay, uh, you're not going to do it. Then I guess, I guess it's me. Um, but did I want to do that myself? No. And, and, and again, I, as I said, I've seen other coordinators have to do the same thing. Um, because some people get hired, they say yes on the phone and then they arrive and right now, now that they're there, you know, they're, uh, forget it. What are you saying? I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that or what have you, but that's the job, you know? I mean, but alternatively speaking back in the day when, then when you get that phone call, um, can you be, are you available on this day or whatever? They didn't always tell you what they wanted you to do. Uh... Like I would just always, I would just always say yes. (laughs) And then sort of, You know, if it was something specific pertaining to a, you know, specific skill set or what have you, I hope that they would ask, you'd be known for certain skills and you'd assume that's why they called you specifically. But um, some, you know, they sometimes say, okay, this is a a full body fire burn um, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes they'd ask you, very rarely I found actually, but Sometimes I'd ask you, have you ever done A, B, or C before X or X, Y, and Z? <clears throat> and if you, uh, you know, if you said no, you'd, you know, feel like, oh my God, they, you know, there's, there's no way they'll hire me. So you have to say yes all the time. There wasn't a lot of stunt people to choose from back then. And if mm. you, each job, you had to prove yourself again and again, and you're only as good as your last job. And so you just sort of embrace it and, go for it and there were several times you know <laughs> like crossing your fingers you know and okay this is gonna be well this is gonna hurt or you know <laughs> what have you um nowadays there's a lot more people uh have been trained and there's you know there's more people available and there's more specialists and there's not as as uh, you know there's not as 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 much finger crossing that needs mm. to happen it's a lot safer and uh, and uh there's there's more time for rehearsal but at the same time it's still you know the film industry and it's still an industry and a business and time is money and, and the rest of it so there isn't always the time to put into um uh, filming it and okay you you have half an hour to get this or that and the worst examples are of that you see in the news if somebody gets Mm -hmm. injured or you know worse if somebody dies which doesn't happen very often um thank god but uh it does it has happened and it should never happen there's no excuse for it and i would think in every instance uh of those things happening there is a I like to think at least there's a stunt coordinator who had said, listen, we need more time to do this properly. Um, This is not safe. Or, you know, there's a stunt coordinator protesting and some, you know, if there isn't, then that person isn't doing their job, Mm -hmm. you know, but, you know, I've said no a few times in my career to a director or to, a producer that was insisting that we do something that I felt was unsafe. And uh, I've just said, no, I remember the first time I had to do it. (laughs) And the, (laughs) and the director was like, no, what, 
What do you mean? No. I mean, no, like, no, like you're not going to do it or no, like, uh, I mean, no, it's not safe. And uh, so, yeah, no, we're not doing that. It's uh, with what I've been provided with uh, personnel wise and time and it's, it's just not safe. So, you know, I will try to now as a director realizing um you know where i came from and whatnot uh obviously i want things done um and perform to a certain level and whatnot but i'll i'll ask them you know i'll ask the stunt department you know is this possible can we do this in this allotted time um and and you know people want to make you happy and quite often people will say yes you know um but the bigger the biggest thing is prep prep time and you have to show up prepared there was a little it was a little more you know uh flying by the seat of your pants back in the day um but the stunts have just gotten more and more there's been more and more expectation um Mm -hmm. because of what's going on in feature films and and there's the advent of visual effects and, and you can you know scrub out or erase a wire so you know there's bigger and bigger bigger and bigger stunts whereas before you know a lot of times we hear oh well we can't do a ratchet which is a wire stunt pulling somebody flying through the air um and either crashing or landing on their feet or what have you but uh people would you know production would say well we don't want to do that because of the cost of removing the wire <clears throat> whereas now any kid with a laptop can do that so it right out yeah it's 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 a lot easier to do and it's a lot cheaper so there's a lot more wire stunts in you know just regular old television where there didn't used to be uh because of the cost um uh but safety is always has to be paramount it has to be key it has to be number one Number two would be skill set and, you know, the appearance of, of um, making the actor look like he's actually, he or she is actually performing whatever the skill it is, whether it be martial arts or driving or, you know, riding a motorcycle or whatever it is. Um, and then there's sev- several other factors that have um come up over the, the last few years that have to be taken into account as well um and of course as you see in the world human rights are <laughs> are becoming <clears throat> more and more <clears throat> not that they haven't always been there but within the stunt world things were a lot different back in the day as in the rest of the world things were a lot different so um people are starting to speak up when they feel uncomfortable and you know mm-hmm. unsafe and 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 the rest of it so um which is a good thing. And, you know, uh, uh, what I would like for, for everyone is to be able to speak up immediately um, instead of feeling like they're on the spot on set. Um, Or their paycheck is at risk or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, And that's what, that, what I felt, you know, very, very, way back in the day, I felt like I said, I had to say yes to everything. Otherwise I wouldn't get hired again, sort of thing. Um, and I'm still here. So I guess, <laughs> you know, um, I probably shouldn't be, uh, I've cheated death many times. 
Uh, I've been injured many times. Um, but, you know, as far as my career goes, I wouldn't trade any of it for the world. I, yeah. I feel, I mean, I've got two, I've got bilateral hip replacements and, you know, I've had so many other injuries and, and I don't, it's, it's pain, but pain's temporary, you know? Um, and, uh, unless it's chronic pain, unless it's chronic pain, <laughs> which is what I, what I had in my hips and which is why I had to have my hips replaced. So oh. yeah, it was 24 hour a day pain, but, um, yeah, my wife finally convinced me to do the, uh, the surgery. Um, well, if it's going to alleviate it, absolutely. You know, you got to take care of yourself. Yeah. What, um, is the most dangerous thing to play with? In, in your assessment, in terms of in terms of the the wheelhouse of things that you provide in terms of content, is it fire, is it car, crashing humans crashing into cars? You know what makes you the most apprehensive is not the word I want, but like on your toes on set, or it's like okay, we're at condition one. All of it. Okay. Um, you treat it all the same. Uh, yeah, a, a, a fight sequence that seems like it's a couple of punches. Um, everything's gone wrong at one time or another in the history uh, of, of the film industry, mm-hmm. um, especially to do with action and or even without action. And I've been there for, a, mm-hmm. I've seen, been around for 30 plus years or what have you. So I've seen a lot of things uh, happen. And uh, my experience what I do now instead is based on what I've been exposed to in the past. And there's some great books out there on the subject as well, but just a, a punch, you know, if it goes wrong and if it's not aimed and it's not accurate, you can take somebody's eye out. And I know people to this, to this day who have lost their sight in an eye, just from an actor not being prepared or not listening or another stump person or, or or whoever. Yeah. yeah. And, or an overzealous extra that wanted to get in the shot and ran, you know, there's, you know, explosion an explosion gone wrong. There's all sorts of things that can happen. Um, You know, it's not always the, the bigger stunts, the high falls or the car hits you know, um, or the fire gags. Uh, I used to love getting lit on fire. I, th- I thought that was, it. to me, it was minimal effort on my part because you'd just be mentally prepared. But I was always very somewhat cavalier about it as long as the safety prep was done. I wasn't worried about it. And getting a little warm to me was meh, you know. Um, I've, and I've gotten burned a couple of times. Um, but it was at least, you know, it was a minimal effort as far as didn't make you <laughs> overexhausted or anything. Um, you didn't have to have terrible amount of skill. Um, you just had to have the, you know, uh, the willingness to do it, <laughs> the willingness to do it. Yeah. Which I did. And, <laughs> and it was very minimal effort with a maximum payoff. I mean, it looks fantastic. It looks great. You know, but uh, but at the same time, if something goes wrong, I mean, it's gone wrong with me a couple of times. Like I said, I've been burned on my face, but, you know, no permanent scarring. I've been burned here and there, but, you know, uh, not as badly as the one that was on my face. You get little things of look or feel like a little bit of peeling, a little sunburn. And I've seen it go far worse f- for other people um, before. 
but more often than not, I've, you know, I've gotten hurt doing much smaller stunts. Um, just regular, just not regular, nothing's regular, but, but just doing a, a fight sequence, uh-huh. you know, the amount of times you have to hit the ground and your body has to, um, you know, hit the cement, uh-huh. um, you know, yeah. uh, it, it, that takes, it, there's a lot of wear and tear on your bones, you know, um, getting lit on fire is kind of, eh, if you've done your due diligence and the prep's done, it's, it's fine. You know, you you just got to be mentally prepared. Getting hit by a car. Uh, right. uh, that, that's, again, there's a technique to that, but you have to also depend on the person driving uh, and trust them and know that they know what they're doing. Um, because that can go terribly wrong. It's Or the brakes on the car, whatever, if something mechanically has gone wrong. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, a high fall, of course, if the uh, airbag, the traditional form of a high fall, but uh, if the airbag hasn't been inspected and say there's uh, there's a, a perforation in the airbag or some of the stitching is blown or what have you, if you hit that airbag from 80 feet and there's no air in it, um, you're, in you're dead. <laughs> yeah. yeah, more than trouble. You're, you know, you're gone. So um there's something that can go wrong in almost i've seen i've seen things go wrong somebody lost their life uh on a set and nobody was even in the frame nobody was on screen it was all of us standing on the other side of the camera and something went wrong on camera with an explosion and somebody the stunt coordinator was killed um so i don't you know i don't uh, I don't have one, anything can go wrong with any stunt um, if it's not, if for, for any given reason, you know? So you have to have your eyes open and uh, be prepared and cross your T's and dot your eyes always on, on, on everything. Mm-hmm. Never take safety for granted, uh, ever. Um, no matter how much pressure you're getting from any direction. Um, money is... Your life is not worth, there's not a dollar sign. Right, exactly. On it. I mean, I used to feel that there was in my, my case. I used to say, oh, well, I might, might check out today. But, uh, you know, that was just part of what you sort of mentally prepared for uh, on set. You know, because who knows? Something might not go off properly, an explosion, you know, mm-hmm. or what have you. It might be in a burning building and it's controlled but at the same time it could get out of control or whatever you don't know you know so. well you have to accept the fact that you're you're putting yourself in harm's way for for a product you know and i'm sure on some level i mean i would be thinking if i was in this situation if i've agreed to do this you know if something happens to me make sure we can use it in the final cut you know i, I mean that's that's what i'm here for so if it's a part of the script yeah you signed the uh you signed the stunt contract and, you know, I used to think of that where myself was involved as somewhat of a waiver. Okay. You know, signing a certain amount and it's up to me to check out the area make sure it's safe. Um, if it's not safe, speak up, you know, mm-hmm. Pull it out. But 
there are, it's, it's a terrible, terrible thing um, when an accident happens mm. that could have been prevented. Mm-hmm. And it's happened a couple of times over the last few years on different shows that I'm not going to mention specifically, but um, you know, people have lost their life and it just, and the reason one of them in particular, the reasons that, that this happened never should have even entered, you know, safety um, and skill set should have, should have um, overtaken the, um, uh, the mind of everyone before anything else. And, and that's what should always be considered first and foremost. And, and uh, when people aren't considering that because of whatever, doesn't matter what the reason is. I don't care what the reason is. Nobody should lose their life uh, on a film set. And, and if I hear that the circumstances, if it could have been prevented, um, it's even more of a travesty of, uh, when you hear of all the instances that where there was opportunities to, you know, correct, something. complain or, or yeah. change something or, or whatever, whatever needed to be done to get that, to, to, to change it. And it still happened. Then, you know, I, I just, there's no excuse for that. Uh, nowadays there's a lot of pressure and everything else, but so well, what? there's cameras everywhere. We've all got one in our pockets now. So, and social it's, media yeah. and everything else. So everyone's kind of on their on on their tiptoes. Yeah, <laughs> that's a whole nother. <laughs> right. That's a whole nother issue. Everybody's brave behind the keyboard. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, and that uh, that's just funny. Um, you know, <laughs> I I want to ask you. Um, you've trained a lot of the actors pull off a lot of different things over the years of all three shows. Yes. Who are some of the ones that you're most proud of for the work that they've done? Um, (laughs) Not necessarily since, but I mean, you, you contributed to that success by, by, by giving them some training. So. Yeah. um, First, I mean, the first show Atlantis, Rachel Luttrell really embraced it and she had never had any, you know, any training um, prior to that martial arts wise. And she really jumped in with both feet. She had a dance background and um, uh, she just embraced it. And and she's a wonderful person anyway, uh, who takes everything very seriously and, 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 um, and uh, goes for it. But uh, she, she's, somebody who really, and of course, Jason Momoa, uh, who's gone on to do many other, other things since, but, uh, you know, he's called me a few times over the years to say thank you just sort of for the, the foundation. Um, and, uh, when we've run into each other at Comic-Con or, you know, wherever, and he's with other people from his new stunt team or what have you, he, his introduction is always very mm-hmm. kind. And this is the guy that taught me everything, you know, that sort of, sort of thing, which is, which is really cool and, and very sweet. Um, uh, but uh, those two were the biggest, you know, they were the, in most of the action mm-hmm. um, as far as hand-to-hand combat and, you know, what they had to, you know, endure. Um, 
Christopher Judge, who had done some stuff on SG-1, he really, really didn't know what to expect when we brought him over to Atlantis and we had this sort of, you know, Tilk versus Ronan. Uh, it was on. Sh- that shtick, like, the, and, you know, the fans are like, well, Tilk's, but Ronan's. Uh. But realistically, you know, um, Chris had said, he said, I, he, and Joe and I were talking about this the other day again. And he's like, when he was asked, well, who would win Tilk, you know, or Ronan? And I asked Brad Wright that and everybody before I had to choreograph this, that piece. And then the whole thing was back and forth like that, the whole episode. But um, everybody said, no, they, as far as the fans are concerned, it, it, it's a tie. It's a know, stalemate. No matter what, it's got to be a tie. But when you ask Chris Judge, he says, oh, Ronan. <laughs> he does. <laughs> he says he'd kick my ass. Did you see the right. shit that he does on that show? I, I don't, you know. And so I said, okay, well, you're coming over to the show now, so we're gonna, you're gonna. It has to look like it's a stalemate. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna step up your game. And he really, I was really proud of Chris for coming in, and he again. Uh, embraced that mentality and he trained hard. He rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And, you know, he did such a great job. The two of them, that, that fight, actually, I, I just revisited it before I went on with Joe and the boys the other day. And I was like, Oh, because when you look back at some of your work compared to what you do later on, when you have more resources and everything else, I was sort of looking at it thinking I was going to cringe. Um, and that fight, by the way, that sparring match was 100% performed by the actors. Zero stunt doubles. They had it down. And they, well, they, I rehearsed them till into the ground. So, you know, uh, it was like second nature to them. So, um, yeah, I was really proud of, of what they accomplished. Particularly, Jason had done several you know, of, of my fights by then, but uh, Chris had done a, a little bit at, at that time. And when he came over, he, he rehearsed with Jason over and over and over. And it was really, they were, there was a healthy competition, um, <laughs> which was, which was cool. And, and you need a bit of that, you know? Um, and I think Chris had uh, bad knees at the time, you know, uh, football injuries and, and whatnot. So, mm-hmm. so I had to be mindful of that. And you doesn't look like it when you watch, no. when you watch, uh, that, you know, how long have they been going at it? Oh, over an hour now, you know, right. <laughs> when, Carter has to stop it. Yeah. When Amanda shows up and, uh, um, that's somebody I'm really proud of too. Amanda tapping is, is oh out there gosh. directing her heart out. She's uh, killing it. She's a force. Um, she is. She is. And still one of the sweetest people on, you know, the face of the, this earth. Uh-huh. Um, really great person. And uh, I ran into her on Batwoman. She was the incoming director. And I was, uh, I think she came to set while I was on set doing my episode. And she came just to say hi, which was really nice. Um had a quick visit, which was cool. And uh, yeah, she's she's doing really well. She's somebody who really paid attention and really spent a lot of time watching and shadowing. And, and you know, she really wanted to do it. 
Mm. Um, there's been a lot of, in that instance, there's a lot more opportunity for people now that wouldn't have got an opportunity years ago. Um, but there, because there's so much more opportunity, um, some people are just being offered, you know, um, positions and they're not really uh, prepared for the opportunity. So um, she's not one of them. She is not one of them. She's very, very prepared. And she, she's uh, straight out of the gate, no pun intended, but she, uh, <laughs> she really, really studied her craft and, and um, uh, which is, you know, what I tried to do. And, and the people who shadow me or, or that I end up mentoring, I, I, I find you have to be prepared. Preparation is key. There is no half-assing it. There's no, you know, there's no 50%. Um, it shows. <laughs> and whether it shows or not on your episode, if you're directing episodic TV or your movie or whatever, the crew and the cast know. Um, and, uh, yes, your episode might turn out fantastic, but, uh, because there's all these other people who have picked up the slack, you know, um, but you don't want to be known as that person. You want to be known as somebody who came in and, and, uh, you know, people leaned on you and, you know, and you're doing your job and you're running the show. And Amanda's one of those people who, um, who is at the helm and she should be. You know? Exactly. We've, uh, uh, she agreed to do the show back in September before we started airing in October. And uh, uh, we've just been pushed back again and again uh, just for scheduling because she's so busy. And every time it's been like, great. You know, I mean, this is good. Good for you. So yeah, yeah. We'll get you at some point. So. Yeah. She's, she, I don't know if she's finished yet. She's just finishing a producing director job uh, here in town. And mm, that's a very, as, as I can attest to, it's, a, it's an extremely busy position. So, um, and your job is essentially looking over uh, directing as well, your own episodes, but also looking over the shoulder of other directors uh, who may be new um to the set and you know basically um ensuring that their episode turns out uh in whatever way shape or form you need to you know accomplish that so it's it's a big you know Mm. it's a big undertaking so it's it's a very full-time job it's a little different now with uh covid getting in the uh getting in the way um so things slow down yeah, things slow down a bit. Not too much. Uh, not as much as I thought it would. But Vancouver, you, know. you guys are working. Yeah, yeah. So. There's, I mean, we the. I look at the numbers daily. I look at this. Not that I pay a lot of attention, but I look just to see mm. what that what the stats are, and it's consistently like four hundred or something like that. You know, hovers kind of around there. Um, it's, it's an interesting study, uh, when you look at other, other cities in the world and other countries and, and how they've handled it and as compared to, you know, some countries just are like me and they don't 
have any safety precautions or anything and they're fine. So I, I don't, <laughs> I'm yeah, not, not every, sure. Yeah. It's like all of us are in our own little Petri dishes and not every one of them is, is the same. You know, you got a lot of homogenous yeah. cultures who are very, you know, they all go in one direction and then you've got like others in the United States where we all have our own ideas and everything else. I've got some fan <laughs> yeah. questions for you. Okay. All right. Teresa wanted to know when you're when you're approaching uh training um uh men or women is there a difference in your approach or is it all the same? Uh you mean whether they're a man or a woman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, in as terms, a, in as terms a... of their like fighting technique in terms of like what they're what you're expecting them to deal with, you know? Depends on their character. Okay. Um, if they're being trained as a soldier, a soldier is a soldier. Okay. Um, That's a good point. Uh, you have to be taught survival skills. You have to be taught to perform specific techniques that are functional. Um, and that's it. It's, it's whether you're a man or a woman, it, um, it has to be. If you're a smaller person, mm. you have to be taught how to use your particular body uh, in a in an optimum uh, fashion that so that it's uh, functional and uh, if you're a larger person you know you have a greater you know you have more weight behind your strikes so you, yeah more force you can uh, you can administer uh, those strikes uh, differently if you're a smaller person you have to go to more vital target areas on on the human body and that sort of thing so um in general in general no uh the human body has two arms and two legs and uh you know a head and you know i mean most of them do um (laughs) so when you're learning or when you're teaching martial arts techniques um techniques um you're being taught to utilize those those tools um and uh male or female doesn't really play a part in that unless uh when when it's as a, as a teacher student sort of thing mm. but in that aspect but it does when it comes when character comes into play so uh depending on what your character is in the particular um sequence if it's a comedy if it's uh whatever well, like McKay, you know, I'm sure with even with Hewlett, you know, he was involved huh. in some of those sequences, but his approach is very different. His approach is much more, yeah, cowardly. You know, he's a he's a scientist. He is he's known for his mind, not for loading bullets into a gun and firing. <laughs> so yeah, 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 and and it's all character based yeah. uh, that way. And if uh, the masculine or uh, feminine energy is part of that. It's um, true. Especially on what feminine for, is, for McKay. So. So. It's whatever. <laughs> whatever. Whatever the character. Um, um, I'll, I'll try and add a, uh, aspects of the character into you know their whatever. Mm-hmm. If it's fighting style or whatever they're performing. Um, but uh, it, yeah, it depends on character. Uh um, pending and what's expected of that character and what the actor expects of their, mm. you know, out of their character, what they want out of their character, because they add, they are that character. They're portraying that character. And the, um, that's a very important aspect, what's coming from within them. So in that regard, 
it's not how I approach training, um, but I will give different examples of um, of women if I'm dealing with a woman and another woman martial artist or you know female female martial artist or or, or what have you that that they may be similar to in um, in uh, body mechanics wise or they move like or that sort of thing so that there's there's a certain amount of uh, information that they can sort of grasp hold of a reference. Yeah, they have a reference exactly, and there, there's you know because everybody moves differently mm-hmm. and whatnot. And, but uh, other than that, you know, again, you know, uh, everybody's got two arms and two legs, and um, a punch is a punch, and a kick is a kick. Jim yeah. Kite, uh, what ended up being the Jim? Yeah, Jim Kite. What ended up being the uh, hardest or most complicated uh, fight to? Uh, compose on Stargate in Stargate. What what ended up taking the longest time out of all of the ones that you did for complexity or just the people who were involved in it or the schedule? Huh. You know what? Uh, the schedule was always very challenging. Um, <laughs> yeah we rarely did overtime uh, at all. So <laughs> we did what we did. I was very fortunate to have some very talented actors and stunt people that learned very quickly. And I didn't have to worry that we'd have to do 10 takes of something mm. or what have you. So time was never, but there was one fight and it's in the back of my mind. that took longer and it was an sg1 sequence what, was it talion in season 10 might with might have been in the, in the um the, the jaffa temple there was a lot of yes. blood in that one man that was That's intense it. i don't know how that i didn't expect the sci-fi channel to be cool with that sequence i was like I'm, they're getting away with a lot in that scene you're impaling you're a guy with a sword that's what I wanted to do. So, um, <laughs> well, you did I'm always trying, trying to push it. Yeah. Craig Fairbrass. Was Craig the... Fairbrass. That's right. Yeah. Okay. That's the one. Yeah. That was, that was extremely challenging. Um, the amount of rehearsal, the, I don't think we had Craig. He was coming from England, uh-huh. I think, or somewhere. So uh, it was sort of sight unseen. According to Chris, he didn't pull punches. He was a big guy. Yes. And that's the one where Christopher actually got, I think he got injured in rehearsal, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, he did by Craig's stunt double. Right. Actually. There was a, now I'm, now it's all coming back. The clouds part. It was very, and and I'll always do rehearsals uh, in what a a speed that I like to call slow with flow, which is very, you know, slow. Like it's impossible to get injured. We were rehearsing a fight sequence uh, with the doubles and Chris was learning his portion with with the stunt double. And and I think something like his, his, he got taken out at the knees or whatever. I think he was kneeling. I think, and there was a, a strike 
that occurred when when Chris was on his knees. I think we'd gone over it several times. And I said, uh, I had a group of, of guys working on it and uh, and I had to go prep something else. I said, okay, I'll be right back. I'm going to, uh, uh, I'm going to go do whatever it was I had to do. I forget what it was. Um, and they were, you know, very, very safe and everything was great and wonderful. And, and I walked <clears throat> out of the room. There was somebody else there sort of overseeing mm. for me, keeping an eye on it. And I, I walked out of the room into the next room. I think it was close to the wardrobe department, I believe, in the stages there at Bridge Studios. I could visualize where I was. And I walked out of the room and I heard, <laughs> literally, I went, okay, you guys, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go take care of blah, blah, blah. I'll be right back to you know, work on this and that. And I walked out of the room and I heard, ah! And I was like, come on, there's no way. And I turned around and I came back and Chris has this big gash on his uh, forehead. And Chris um, says, you said, own. well, it's, it, it's not that bad. <laughs> According yeah. to Chris. <laughs> yeah. His eyebrow. Well, it wasn't when I first saw it. Um, it hadn't like opened up or right. whatever, but it, 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 it was a good gap. I mean, it was right on the bone. So mm. I guess, you know, it was a bone on bone ah. sort of thing. I don't know how it happened because logistically what was happening rehearsal wise was just not consistent with it. No, at all. I, I'm like, how did that happen? What, what, what happened? I yeah, just, right. like, come on. <laughs> You had um, one job. I left the room for one minute. Oh, oh my God. And then, um, and so, yeah, Chris had to be on camera after that. And, and they did, of course. Uh, I guess, liquid Band-Aid and covered it up and, wow. you know, put makeup over it and all that. And he, you know, the That's show must go on. So, yeah. And he was, he's a tough guy. Um, you know, he played football and, you know, been in sports all his life. So, He'd been knocked around a bit, so yeah. you know he was just kind of like, "How's it look?" You know, kind of thing. <laughs> Get some pictures. Yeah, I. Yeah, and I was. That, yeah, it was for that fight. No wonder that fight seemed to me that there was, you know, a challenge. Um, and it was shooting. It was a challenge. Uh, um, it was just sort of a little, it was all over the place. It was very spread out. And I think it was like a really cat and mouse sort of situation. It was one of the last episodes that SG1 put out. And you guys, you know, put it over the top for sure. That was intense. Yeah, yeah there was a lot put into it. Was it Andy directed it or? Italian? Let me see here. Yeah, can't remember. I feel like I recall him being on set. Um, Italian was directed by Andy. Very good. Yeah. Legit. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Sci-Fi Fan 21. Um, are are there certain actors that are more insistent on doing their own stunts than others? Is it, is it a trend typically for them to want to do their own? Are there some that are like, you know what? There's a person for this. Give it to them. Yes, yes, and yes. Okay. Very good. 
<laughs> yeah, there's certain actors that want to do everything. Stephen Amell was one of those actors. We uh, empowered him a lot on the pilot of Arrow. Um, Jason Momoa was also one of those um, on Stargate. But Stephen Amell, you know, just like Tom Cruise, he wants to wants to do it all himself. Uh, you can do a certain amount yourself, but there's instances. You have to, as we were speaking about previously, on a TV series, you have to try and out do yourself um, yeah. with the level of action. So you get to a certain point where you just can't put the actor in certain circumstances. It's just not safe. Mm. Um, whether that actor wants to do it or not, there's just, <laughs> there's just certain things we're not insured for them right. to do. And, you know, so, so that's it. Uh, so yeah, there are certain actors that are like, Nope. I'm not doing that. You know, that guy over there, that's his job, you know? And, and there's other actors that like, I don't want a stunt double hmm. until they, you know, get hurt. And then they want a stunt double, of course. But, does it, does it completely legitimately? I'm, I'm curious. Um, part of me would be like, for those who are like, no, I'm just not interested at all. Part of me in the back of my mind, I think my respect with them, for them would diminish a little bit if they were never willing to try at all. Like you don't, you don't even want to try or, you know, is it not like that for you at all where it's like, Hey, they know that what their job is and they know what they're, uh, they're, they're acknowledging their limitations. Yes. Uh, that's more like essentially what it is. Some people are just not athletic. Some people know their limitations. Uh, some people are cast in certain roles that, they just shouldn't be, you know, um, they're, that's a very, you know, there's that's a very polite way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's, it's not, you know, a, a lot of, you know, a lot of the time the studio and or mm. uh, director, whoever it is, um, put their acting and dramatic mm. performance ahead of their physicality. And they just go, ah, oh, you guys will teach them that. Yeah. Or heard that. Figure or it whoever. out. That's your job. Right. Yeah. And then they get there and there's just no way. Either they're not believable uh, physically and you have to do everything with a stunt double or they, sure, maybe they're somewhat athletic and they don't attend rehearsals so they don't progress mm. in the uh, skill set that they need to be trained in or you know, any number uh, of things. So, um, But I have a lot of respect for actors who just say, hey, you know, uh, I don't feel that that's something that is safe i will take it to as far as um you know to here and Mm. then after that it's a stunt double and and hey you know that's their job Mm -hmm. that's what stunt people do and and as a former stunt performer i i admire that because Mm. and as a stunt court former stunt coordinator i admire that as well because so often it's just so much easier to throw the stunt double in because they're ready they show up yeah. ready, you, you know, um, it's safer. It's, you know, all around and there's no biting your nails. And um, because actors can get also can, can get carried away in the, in the reality of it because they have to go there emotionally and whatnot. And, and they're not, well, some of them are, but it's not their job to be 
thinking all these things that stunt people are trained to think. Yes, they That's get used point. to it if they're on an action show, but yeah. it's not safety isn't their job per se. It's the stunt people's job. Yeah. So they may get carried away in their character and and who knows, you know, trip over something or or whatever that they that they weren't considering because they're so lost in their character which is what their job is, is to yeah they've got dialogue there, right? and all kinds of other things to deal with that's a that's a really yeah. fair point yeah so i i find that you know uh yes it's fantastic when you can keep that uh the illusion hmm. up that the actor is doing it themselves and they are that character and for the fans and everything else but uh the reality of it is you know there's a point where safety's first well there's always a point if that is always eventually you you arrive one. at that line one way or another yeah 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 Chantel leo do you ever suggest independent martial arts training for actors hey Chantel. uh yeah if if that's their character mm-hmm. then yes 100 percent. if an actor is willing to take the time and do that i would prefer that they do 100 mm-hmm. percent. yes yeah, Rachel was saying, you know, when when the Bantos rods and and the, the Filipino art style. What's the Filipino art style called that she was taught? Screamer. Screamer. I can never remember that name. I lived in the Philippines for a year. You think that would help? No. Um, what? Yeah, I did. That's a whole other story. Um, I I believe she mentioned that you um, once that became a part of who she was. I think by around the episode suspicion where they, she snapped the sticks in two. And then later that evolved into the Bantos rods that you got her on a, some kind of a like, okay, so if this is what we're going to be doing, then you know the, the training regimen that I recommend is in this direction. Is that correct? Well, uh, I met her on the pilot. Yeah. And the first training with that, I just came to her trailer and I started going click, 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 click with her and said, see if you can learn this. Yeah, and she memorize came back this form. The next time, yeah, and she did. Bless her soul. And uh, <laughs> she, was, she was a natural. And then, um, yeah, when we got into it more and more, I was a busy stunt coordinator. I couldn't train, do all the training. Mm. So, yeah, I put her with a with another uh, fellow and, and, you know, so that she had some training outside of just myself so that she had more, you know, got it. Um, just to, just to sharpen, keep her sharp so that when we got into the choreography, she was, exactly. you know, capable of picking it up and jumping right in. Burned back house is, how is it working with someone trained in martial arts, like Sharon Taylor, for example, does it make things easier because they're more relatable that way? Uh, do you, do you lean on yes, their experience no. or do you have to deprogram them to a certain degree in terms of what you need to do? Yes. And no, okay. uh, say Rachel's <laughs> for instance, had a dance background and, and right. martial arts is somewhat the opposite of dance. Dance is very open. I said this sort of very early, very open and, and your center of gravity is very high and martial arts is very closed and you're protecting your body, you know, yeah. and, and your center of gravity is very low. Um, so I had to un- untrain the dance um, from her. Although she learned choreography, we're very fast, and which was great mm. uh, that she got that from dance. But uh, you have to some. Not every martial arts school or club trains their students with good habits. Not every teacher is what I would consider a good teacher. So right. yes, sometimes it's great. It's fantastic to have 
a an actor that shows up with martial arts training and you can slip right in and you speak the same language and and everything else. But other times it gets in the way because they've been taught a whole bunch of bad habits and uh, they don't extend their kick uh, and they, and they sort of, just, oh, this is how I do it. And, and you have to, okay. And, you know, they, you know, they know everything and, you know, and, and, and that sort of thing. So it really depends on the person and who trained them and what their experience is, and, you know, and that. Um, but I do prefer people to have some sort of training um, previously if they're, if, if they are to perform a fight sequence, it takes, it makes it so much easier. It's it, working with Mark Dacascus. It was oh always my a gosh. Treat. And yeah, he was, and I saw, we were talking the other day actually, but I worked with him on the crow TV series uh-huh. uh, previous to him coming in. And he's just a treat. He's a gentleman um, and a, very very good person period and he's so generous and uh tire was a badass he made it so believable you know yeah because he can move and it you know even you put him in there with jason who's you know twice his size kind of thing but you see the way he moves and you're it's a different style yeah um and you believe it because I mean, also Mark was training since he was like three years old. His dad was one of Bruce Lee's, you know, training partners and you know students. Yeah. Um, so, so Mark came by it honestly. You know, he yeah. he's one of those people. But then there's been other people throughout the years that you um, that they're martial artists that they just they have their own way about them and. Um, and their timing might be completely off because of where they trained or what have you, and, and people can get hurt. Um, so it's not always, it doesn't always translate well to, you know, the, the screen mm. as it were. Um, but. I have a couple more and then I'm going to let you go. Uh, Claire okay. wanted to know, is there any type of gag that you, you see coming on the script? It's like, Ooh, I like you don't enjoy doing it or is there like is anything just a a new opportunity to learn and experience something new everything's a new opportunity yeah uh no there's nothing that i go ooh ah, ooh," at all um if the ones that i cringe at are are ones that don't make sense with the script i see like they're shoving ones i cringe at yeah that they're throwing it in there and it's putting a round peg in a square hole Uh, and it's just for i cringe when it's cheesy got it i cringe when somebody doesn't understand you know strategy or um story Mm -hmm. uh i cringe when i would you know sometimes we'd be the victim with certain or all studios We'd, we'd sort of be the victim whatever the latest news violent news story was there was a shooting there was whatever going on in the news so that would be reflected in the latest script depending on the show you're on so if there was a a a shooting you know columbine um, Mm. you name it you would have what a script that there was a say a gunfight um 
Next thing you know, something appears in the news. And then the script comes out the next day and then they're having a gunfight with no bullets or something like that. I mean, it's just like there's an overreaction to, yeah, it's things like that would happen. No, you're only allowed to shoot um, with pistols and you can't use automatic rifles because that's what they used in that. Uh, So they're trying to be sensitive to what's going on right now. Correct. But they've already written the context and the scenes and then they try to be sensitive and they take away all the things that actually made sense in the scene oh, because gosh. these were mercenaries or whatever, soldiers or whatever. They carry a certain AK-47 or, or whatever. Right, whatever say. it is. Yeah. And now they're, you know, fighting with a feather duster and a, you know, whatever. Um, and then they've done that just as a reaction to what's in the news. And of course, that ebbs and flows with. Of course uh with humanity and and i understand the reason why but some of the reactions <laughs> because of that reason have been brutally cheesy cut, cut down the story <laughs> because of it yeah they've destroyed the story they've destroyed yeah. the story and that happened on i remember one of the examples and this is a big one. Um, we were going to shoot a riot sequence on a show. Um, and it was pandemonium, people in the streets smashing windows, all sorts of things, looting and and that sort of thing on, on a show. And the n- two nights before uh, was 9-11. Oh, my god! And that happened. And it was on the news and everything. And everybody, you know, everybody was glued. To oh, yeah. The- yeah. The world stopped spinning. The- yeah, and uh, or the world here. I mean, things like that have happened in other countries, and it was a, you know the first time, you know, in North America, people had really gone like, "Whoa, yeah, this know, can happen here." The world, yeah, the world. This could happen anywhere, you know. Um, and how cocky were we to think that it, you know, couldn't? You know, it's uh, all this time, but there was a big reaction. They they literally we had to shut down because the planes shut down and the airports were shut down that sort of thing. So we didn't shoot the sequence right away, but we did, we came back and they, they took out, they thought that that would exacerbate the, the public Mm -hmm. and, and stir the pot because it was a riot. Uh, They thought that it, you know, people were, were, would be triggered and maybe the, it would trigger rioting or something mm-hmm. by having this sequence on a television show. So, so they, they took it completely out of the script, the whole riot, the whole riot for a moment. And then we shut down the production because they didn't know what to do. Cause it was part of the story. Um, and it was a post-apocalyptic situation and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then, they thought better of it and they were, hold on, it, we need this. It doesn't, right. now our story doesn't make sense anymore. So they brought it back. And Trust uh, the audience to understand the circumstances. Well, that's just the thing. Depending on the studio and depending on who's working for that studio, um, sometimes you get notes uh, with the script that make you have to over-explain things 
to the audience. And that's when you end up with scripts that you, you actors you'll, you'll see are reciting lines uh, in, in their dialogue that just sound like nobody. <laughs> they right. don't sound like, like we're having a regular conversation here. Yeah. That's what a script should sound like. Like we're talking to each other. They're listening and talking and having a conversation. Um, and there's some sort of conflict and, and what have you, which happens in everyday life. Um, the best scripts reflect that, but sometimes you get a script that's just so they're just trying to fill it with over ex- explanation because they think the audience they'll never understand those subtleties. And, you know, yeah, we have so to we, fill them in. We have to, we have to spoon feed and it breaks quite it. often it destroys it and it doesn't get done properly. Um, in a lot of instances and you can tell, I mean, you'll, you can pinpoint that when it happens immediately there and the audience, uh, as an audience member, you think, why did you have to say that? Right. I, I could have figured that out for myself. I'm actually paying attention. Right. Um, (laughs) to the show. Um, but, uh, that's one of, one of the worst examples of, uh, Uh, of, uh, of the way things have, you can see it happen a lot of the time because people will repeat or regurgitate information um, in a scene. And, well, there was a time that I blah, 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 blah. And then they make fun of it on shows like Family Guy. Um, and then they do a little side skit. And, yeah, the cutaways. You know, and the cutaway, which are hilarious. But, but uh, you know, it's there's a that device doesn't need to be used if the script is written well. Exactly. You know? um, anyway. Last question for you. Akos wanted okay. to know, how often do costumes influence the choreography? Akos. Well, um, they shouldn't. Um, <laughs> there you go. And costume designers, unfortunately, or fortunately, unfortunately, Everybody's got a job to do. Right. Um, all the heads of departments, the costume designer, the makeup designer, the makeup department, the hair department, the stunt department, the paint department, the construction. You know, everybody has to facilitate this product, which comes from the script. And that's your main directive. Now, some of some of the departments have to work together <laughs> to make this make sense, some right? So, well, not everybody works really closely with the other departments. Mm. Some of them overlap quite a bit. And the stunt department and the costume department are two of those uh, two of those departments that overlap all the time. So the stunt performers, one of the most common um, issues is in a in a design of a costume which makes sense for the character the costume designer will have high heels Mm. um for any for a particular character or boots with high heels meanwhile to the stunt performer well this is a soldier what are they doing with high heels they have to run through gravel and you know do all this thing i'll break my ankle yeah you know bryce dallas howard in jurassic park or jurassic world yeah, like um, remarkable, right? Um, yeah, to the be whole able to movie. In, yeah, I have a lot of respect for somebody that can actually run in heels. Uh, <laughs> I've tried it, um, and uh, I don't want to do it again. 
Oh, what an image, man. Oh, because I've seen so many of the stunt women do it. Um, I'm not going to ask I've you to do something it. that I won't do myself. Exactly. <laughs> I've tried it myself, and I'm like, fuck this. I'm like, you know, I'm, let's fix it, because oh it's it's not, <laughs> to me, it's not safe. You'll break your ankles. So, yeah, um, yeah that that's, uh, so the costume can affect it if it's yeah. insisted upon. If the director and the and the character and everybody has to have that heel that is essentially dangerous in the terrain or what have it can, you, it can really injure you. Yeah, you can be injured, and so yeah, that's when the costume affects you. Have to be, but you, the costume designer, the stunt coordinator, the fight choreographers, the performers work very closely together to ensure that the person, the superhero, whatever they are, their character mm-hmm. is, can actually do what's expected of them. So if you have a really good costume designer, they will make changes to the original design so that, because surprisingly, this might be or may not be surprising, costumes aren't always designed so that people can even do this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some people to look good, even, probably first. They look great, but, you yeah. know, you can't lift your arms above your head. I mean, I've worn armor where you're, you know, your arms get about this high and that's it. And say you have to do a cartwheel. It's impossible. Look at that guy back there. I mean, that's a heavy suit, you know? So yeah, it's crazy. James. Yeah. So yeah, this has been a pleasure, my friend. Thank you so much for coming on to catch up. It's uh, It's great to see you. It's good to see you. Good memories with this show. You guys did a lot of good work. We had a lot of fun. So it was a really good family and, uh, we should do it again. I think so. Brad's, I think, trying to get something off the ground, and that sounds good to me. I would do it. I would. I. I mean, I would direct an episode. I, absolutely, <laughs> big time director now, and you've earned it. You know, you've you've worked you've worked hard to get where you are now, and I'm I'm really proud of thank you of um, of the person that uh, that you've become. It's it's well earned, sir. So thank you. Absolutely, thank you. I appreciate your time and you know, I'd love to have you back in the future to talk about more uh, specific stories. We've got a long way to go with this show and, uh, and the sky's the limit. Fantastic. Love to come back. Thanks, man. I really appreciate your time. Best of luck and continued success on the new shows. I'm looking forward to Superman and Lois. That is one I haven't seen the pilot yet, but that is one that I do intend to watch. So I'm I'm really glad you're involved. It's very well done. Um, showrunners, the writing, everything. They've really hit it out of the park on this one. So uh, let me know what you think. I will. I'll keep in touch with you for sure. You take care of yourself. Okay, man. Okay. I'm Thanks, David. You too, show. buddy. Be well. Bye-bye. Okay. Take care, man. James Bamford, stunt coordinator on SG, uh, excuse me, on Atlantis and Universe and fight coordinator on SG1. Thanks so much for uh, tuning in. I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks to my team of uh, Summer, Tracy, uh, Keith, Jeremy, Reese, uh, my moderating staff, uh, Linda, Gate, Gabber, Fury, and uh, uh, Jennifer uh, Kirby. You guys are are fantastic. This is the last couple of. Uh, what is it? Is today the end of Mar- today? By tomorrow, this will no longer be an option. So. 
get your trivia questions in if you want to own a piece of the Pegasus Dial Home device. For the month of February, Dial the Gate is partnering with Empire Movie Props to give away this piece of the DHD from the Atlantis episode Phantoms. To enter to win, you need to use a desktop or laptop computer to visit dialthegate.com. Scroll down to submit trivia questions. Your trivia may be fused, used in a future episode of Dial the Gate, either for our monthly trivia night or a special guest to ask me in a round of trivia. We haven't done that in a while. Please note, the submission form does not currently work for mobile devices. Get these in before March the 1st, Eastern Time. If you're the lucky winner, I'll be notifying you via your email right after the start, uh, uh, right after the um, uh, the start of the month, to get your address. Big thanks to Empire Movie Props for making the item available to a member of our audience. And Dial the Gate is brought to you every week for free, and we do appreciate you watching. But if you want to support the show further, buy yourself some of our themed swag. We're now offering T-shirts, tank tops, sweatshirts, and hoodies for all ages in a variety of sizes and colors at Redbubble. We currently offer four themed designs uh, and hope to add more in the future. The word cloud designs of both a solid background or transparent background options, so you have some flexibility between using a lighter, choosing a lighter or dark color. Do keep that in mind when you're making your selection. Check out is fast and easy. You can even use your Amazon or PayPal account. Just visit dialthegate.redbubble.com. And thanks for your support. Matthew Hall asks, question for David about the spacesuit. Is it wearable? Yes, indeed. Um, I've had uh, uh, a couple of friends wear it uh, since acquiring this. Uh, James, actually, Bam Bam may have actually been inside of it at one point. It's one of the three that was designed for, um, uh, for what was it? First Contact, starting Atlanta, season five, episode 10. That's what we got going on there. Um, please like, share, and subscribe the show uh, if you uh, enjoy uh, the series and want to recommend it to a friend. Our Discord link is no longer ours. I've given that over to Reese. I think he's calling it Point of Origin now. So Dial the Gate no longer has an official Discord link. The show is just not big enough yet. Uh, That was the chief reason for it. I think we jumped the gun on it a little too early. We haven't even cracked 10,000 subscribers yet, hopefully in the next couple of months here. But when the show gets older and there are more people watching... Uh, we'll definitely go back and, and give the Discord uh, uh, site another try. Just right now, it's we haven't reached critical mass yet, so I, I pulled the trigger on it way too early. Um, next up, we do have Simone Bailey. She's going to be joining us pretty quickly here. I need to get out of this and back in so that we can bring Simone in. Thanks again to James Bamford uh, for his time. Great guy. And all the continued success for Bam Bam. My name is David Reed. Thanks for joining us on Dial the Gate. We'll see you on the other side. Dial the Gate is hosted and executive produced by David Reed. The producer is Darren Sumner. Co-produced by Linda Fury. The composer is Neil Acree. Animations by Bryce Ors. The production assistant is Jennifer Kirby. Moderators include Summer Roy, Keith Homel, Tracy Noller, Jeremy Heiner, Reese M., and Anthony Rowling. Logo designed by Deborah J. Bell. Additional effects by Thomas Tots, with contributions by model makers Chris Baker, Stephen Barr, Kevin Zabo, and Tom Paris. The archivists are Linda Fury, Zachary Adams, and Fred Eric Marcoux. For general inquiries for submissions, please contact us at dialthegateshow at gmail.com. Visit our website for the upcoming schedule, as well as an archive of our past episodes at dialthegate.com. <laughs>